Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. I'm back this week. Been pretty much under the pump doing the TV show, but I'm back on board and we're going to get regular podcasts again. Today, I'm joined by Kate Gibbs. Now, Kate is the owner and principal of Stratosphere Performing Art School, which is a dancing studio based in Sydney's northwest. Kate first started owning this business in 2013 and since then has moved into multiple venues. This year, she acquired another dancing school and is growing yet again. Kate's story is similar to many small business owners around Australia. and No doubt, she runs into exactly the same challenges that they face. So, we're going to talk about dealing with customers and clients, figuring out how to expand properly, and how she learned how to run a business and a performing arts studio all at the same time. So let's get into it. Kay Gibbs, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So tell me, how long have you owned this dance studio or the dance studios? Uh, so my studio in itself has been running for five years. This is our sixth year. Um, but previous to me owning it, it was owned by another lady that I used to work for for 12 years before that. Um, but over the last five years, I've actually opened two additional venues since I've had ownership of the business. So I guess the obvious question for me anyway, um, if someone opens a dance studio, I immediately assume they were a dancer. Yes. (laughs) And that's right. So yeah, I started dancing when I was five, Mm -hmm. uh, and just showed natural ability for it when I was really young, but my passion for teaching didn't really kick in until I was a bit older. And that was nurtured by my dance studio teacher and her name was Nerida Southwood. And then over the years I continued my dance training, but I guess the most honest way I can say this is I just didn't have a thick enough skin for the professional world and (laughs) it's a pretty cutthroat out there but I knew that I wanted to do something with dance and teaching just seemed like the most natural pathway for me to lead into. So I knew some uh, girls and a guy um, all of whom did dancing from a really young age like you at five Um, and one of whom was Rhonda Birchmore. Oh wow. Lived next door to me. (laughs) And uh, her sister, Michelle, and uh, just three houses up, a guy called Kim Rita, who ultimately ended up being in the um, either the London Royal Ballet, or he was a boy, or a London mm-hmm. Royal Ballet, or German Royal Ballet, I can't remember, and Amanda Clark, who was, uh, or Amanda Clerk, who was actually in the uh, Australian Royal Ballet. And um, one of the things, I, and they all lived within 100 metres of each other, and I, one of the things I remember growing up with these guys is that you're right, they started really early at five, but the amount of commitment they had to put into mm-hmm. their dancing um, 
was just crazy. That's uh, right. You know, two of the girls, one of the, one girl was a ballerina, one girl, one guy was a ballerina. I know what they call them, ballerina. What do they call boy ballerinas? But is that what they call them? Is that what they call them? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, one of the things I remember all the time was bleeding toes. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, w- one guy had uh, the guy also was a tap dancer, and um, his father had to make his taps. We didn't make the shoes, but he made the the things, the, the plates, the plates that went on the bottom of it. And he had a big metal thing. I was always intrigued. This big metal thing down there, melting metal and attaching. And he made all the plates for everybody in the in the street. And the two girls next door, Michelle and Rhonda, like all I remember is their mum playing a tape recorder, playing their thing, and then they would be dancing. She'd be doing do this and do that, and it was like like literally it felt like it was twenty four hours a day. And she used to make all the dresses, and it's a big undertaking, absolutely, for parents in this business. I yeah. mean, it's huge. Yeah, that's it. Is that right? Is that is that across the board? Absolutely. If your child dances, it's not just your child that's involved. It's definitely a whole family scheme. Just because the amount of time that goes into it, dance moms is a real thing, yeah. and <laughs> their involvement and how much they're involved is very real. Yeah, and but I- it's. It's a necessity more than anything. Yeah, so I, I, I do want to talk about that, but uh, in, a, in a minute. So <clears throat> were you one of the girls who was a committed dancer? Because I, I guess there's also parents, because my, my sister went too. But like, you know, we we weren't like that in that way. And uh, she didn't really care that much about it. So she just went because all the other kids in the street were doing it. Yeah. Um, but we, I don't really ever remember watching a practice. So, and she just did it for fun. Yeah. So that's the thing. There's two different types of dances, particularly in children. There's kids that just do it for recreational purposes, that go to have a little boogie, meet some friends, do some exercise. Is that the more popular one? <sighs> yes. I reckon, uh, particularly in the area that I trade in, which is really suburban, it's full of, full of families. Um, I think recreational dance is probably more popular because there is such a limited opportunity for professional dance in Australia. The number of jobs that are available for people is like not a lot. So for you to be a professional dancer in Australia, you have to be the creme de la creme. Well, I think that was always been the way. So in fact, two of them had to go overseas. Yeah, exactly. So who are your customers then? So my customers, I like to think that I can cater for both streams, um, but primarily um, I like to think that I create good a good technical environment for recreational dancers. So kids that want to learn for fun but are getting good quality training. So what do you teach? What type of dance? I teach everything. So we do jazz, tap, ballet, contemporary, hip-hop, acrobatics, and I have a cheerleading coach as well. Okay, Which is like American stunt cheerleading. Yeah, yeah. So they acrobat, they gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. Well, gymnastics style where they're jumping up and down and doing flips That's it, and do the lifts and... Yeah, yeah. So uh, given you're teaching quite a broad range. Yeah. Is dancing a thing today? Definitely. Um, it is, is it? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I wasn't sure because I thought it might have been something that died away, but it's a thing today. No, I think it's bigger than ever. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what you, that's what your product is then? It's all those subsets of dance? Yeah, different dance classes that we can offer the kids. Who, who you're in, where, where are you located again? So I have three locations in the Hills District. We operate out of Dural, Glenhaven and Beaumont Hills. Okay, smells like money. Um <laughs> So uh, what we're talking about here is, uh, let me know who this, what, what the demographics are, the socioeconomics of your parents whose kids are sent there. Yeah, so I, <clears throat> young parents, uh, young families, we're talking... What's that mean? Young, young, what do you mean? So I'm talking like fresh, uh, let's say between 30 to 50. 
Yeah. Um, some multiple children, some single children that are still building. Right. And 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 the, the families usually got reasonable incomes, <clears throat> probably own the house or yes. buy, paying it off or something like Correct. that. Correct. Um, and aspirational? Um, For the I, kids? Uh why do they get the kids to dance? What's their purpose? Why are they getting the kids to learn dance? I think the motivation is different for every family. Um, well, give me a couple. So one is to get them out of the house, to get them doing something after school. That's a good one these days especially. Yeah, absolutely. So my Beaumont Hills venue actually feeds straight out of a primary school. So we're used as an alternative to us to a school care. So the right. kids come straight after school and dance with me for four hours instead of mum and dad having to put them in an after school care. What, from four to eight? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So they do their back-to-back classes with me straight after school and then mum and dad come and pick them up after work. When uh, they do their homework? On a different day. Well, uh, it's not every day. No, not no, every right, day. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So they'll they'll try and – I try and organise the timetable so each age group is on one day so they right. can get a bulk of core classes in one day and that leaves swimming and netball and other things for another afternoon. Yeah, so the, the kids are generally quite busy. So, uh, what, what, so what your business here is – I mean, the product's a product mm. – um, but you've shaped the product for the demand in the area, mm-hmm. so, which means you know what the demand in the area is. In order to know the demand in the area is you need to know what the economics and the so- social makeup is of the area, mm-hmm. which people are coming to where you are, um, which is the Hills District, yes. three places in the Hills District, and uh, what the needs of the parents are, like you know after-school care and all those sorts of things. Correct. So you've, you've sort of locked yourself into you know good niches um, and – Obviously, you don't. You're in three places. You don't teach everyone. No, I have twelve staff. Right. So, are they? They're yours. Are they not franchised out? No, they're my three venues. Right. Right. Your three venues. And and how do you? How hard is it to find people to work for you? Um, I've selected all my staff from people that I know. It's either people that I used to dance with when I was younger, or I trained with when I was older, or they're friends of my dance friends, so I know that they come recommended. Right. Uh, I guess the hardest thing is having multiple venues and not being there every afternoon in the week. I need to entrust that those venues are going to be run as if I was in the room. So I'm really lucky to have some really good staff that are A, my friends, but B, um, capable uh, to handle things when I'm not around. So training, quality assurance, what do you do? Yeah, so I do. we do an induction every year. Uh, the training we actually use for a couple of our classes, we use a set syllabus. So those teachers teach from that syllabus. So that, that's a government syllabus or something? No, not I'm, a government, an industry syllabus. Yeah, well, not even an industry st- syllabus. Dance is probably one of the only hobbies in Australia that's not regulated by a government or industry body. Right. So it's basically every man for himself. I follow the Ballet Australasia Limited syllabus and they offer syllabi in jazz, tap, uh, ballet, hip-hop, I think that's it for them. But um, I use that syllabus just so I know what's being taught in my classes and th- the the teachers that I employ can teach from that book and I know what's happening in, in class. Right. but And do kids sort of get graded? Like Yeah, we offer exams. Right. Uh, exams are not compulsory. <laughs> um, they're definitely optional, but I think maybe 70% of my school do it. So how do you work out how much to charge? Yeah. <laughs> this is this is my my issue. <laughs> I think for me, I when I first started out, I took on the fee structure from the previous owner, and then over time, I've just done little inflations. I have also by that you mean increases. Oh yeah, that one. 
The increases, yes. Um, Is that because the person before you was underpricing? No, I just think venue hire changed. I think demand changed. And I think my staffing cost changes as well because I grew. I had more expenses. So I had to obviously make up some of that money somewhere. Um, What I have introduced now is actually a capped pricing whereby once the kids reach a certain class load, they can then hit unlimited lessons. Whether this is beneficial for me, I don't particularly know. That's something I want to actually pick your brain about Um, because instead of just charging, say, for instance, a 45-minute lesson is $13.50, once they take five lessons at $13.50, they can hit a cap and then they can take extra lessons for free on top of that. So the idea is that the kids are getting extra training that they need and it pushes them to do more to reach that cap level. But then obviously once they're on the level, they can just take extra classes for free. Well, let's talk about that a little bit later because that, sure. that's probably not difficult, but it uh, sounds a bit complex. Um, but I'm sure there's an answer to it. Um, how do you market your business? So marketing for me, I do a lot of it online. I find a lot. I used to do a newspaper ad in the local paper. I used to do flyer drop. But I found when students were enrolling, when they said, oh, how do I, how did you hear about the studio? No one ever clicked those boxes. I don't think anyone reads the local paper anymore. No. I think it's used for recycling <clears throat> only. And um, so I think I put most of my energy and time into Facebook ads. I have a Instagram for the studio, which outside students look at, which I find a lot of kids see our online content. It's like, oh, I want to dance there. Uh, And I feel like a lot of it's a word of mouth, particularly in our area. Dance Mums Chat, everyone compares results. It's called called Dance Mums Chat. Oh, no, I'm just saying that the Dance Mums, yeah, Dance Mums in our area's chat. So um, everyone's always comparing results. Because they all go to the same competitions in the Stedfords. Absolutely. And uh, they all know each other and they Mm -hmm. see the girl who won last four at Stedfords or had the best outfit or whatever. That's it. And they want to know... What school you go to? Where do they train? Who teaches you? Yeah, yeah. How are you how are you getting those results? Yeah, Why so, is my child not a part of that? So Instagram and Facebook would be a good one for that. Yes, definitely. Because you can also obviously show videos and photos and yeah, stuff yeah. you're learning in class. So so much of uh, my product is the actual service and the, how the kids are performing and the results they're achieving. So without actually displaying that out into the world, people have got really no idea what's happening behind my closed doors. How do you how do you manage competitive competitive spirit within the within the groups or the classes, not, um, not the parents, the kids. The kids, uh, not all of my kids are competition kids, uh, <clears throat> but the ones that do do troop, which is our competition teams, I think they thrive in it. See, going to competitions and getting beaten is probably one of my favourite things because it lights a fire under their butt because they can tell that there's other people out in the world working twice as hard, doing things twice as well, and I think it actually gives them the motivation to try harder. Uh For the little ones, uh, I find that sometimes less is more with them and getting them ready for a big competition. But the older ones, I feel like the more you throw them out there and the more exposure they get to different competition, the more it motivates them. Or do some equally just drop out? Um, I find the ones that would have that attitude would never sign up for comp in the first place. Right. I think that everyone's kind of aware of what the expectation and what is involved with being in a competition team. Yeah, so but your your because um, what I want to know is, I mean, I don't really know who your customers are. I don't know if it's the parents or the kids or both. Who would you say they are? Mm, that's the hard <clears> thing. <throat> I I like to think it's the children, but I think often my my business is tailored to the needs of the parents. You, you think so? Yeah. You mean in terms of the times at which you put times that on? I schedule? Um, 
the the discounts I would allow, the extra rehearsals or things I provide, um, the motivation for different opportunities, they all kind of answer to the calls and demands of the parents. The kids obviously are taking lead from their parents and they are obviously keen to do whatever is thrown at them. But I find the parents are the ones that are obviously paying the bills and they're the ones asking the questions. Yeah, so you, you but who do you talk to the most, the kids or the parents? Uh, I well, obviously spend six afternoons a week in class with the kids. No, I don't mean just teaching. I mean, like, actual talking. So, like, little Susie, like, uh, do you, she's in your class. She's either a star or she's not doing as well as she could. Mm-hmm. Do you spend time talking to her or do you just say, here's the class, Oh, no, definitely. No, there's definitely, we we speak with the kids and we set goals each term, short-term, long-term goals and what they want to be involved in. Is that online or how do you do that? No, we do it face-to-face in class. And you write notes? Yeah, so our younger ones actually have a goal chart and have little stars and once they get their right leg splits, they get a gold star and so on and so forth. So it's a visual prompt as well. But um, I feel like I the nurture of the actual service I get the feedback from the kids, obviously, because they're the ones in the lesson. But obviously what they carry home to their parents is what's filtered back to me. And normally that comes back in a, a different way to what they had told me in class. The kids? Yeah. yeah. So do so yeah, because you sound like you'd have to be nearly, nearly be a psychologist. Yes. Uh, <laughs> for children and, and adults. And but, adults, that's <clears> right. Um, but... Uh, I mean, the kid part intrigues me. Um, adults, it's easier to deal with. Kids is quite difficult, I find, um, even though they're nice and simple, but they're quite difficult. Because mm-hmm. they're changing they every day. They don't tell you stuff either. That's right. I mean, I, I presume that, um, well, I don't know how old you are, but you look young. Um, so where did you get your ability to do the psychology stuff? Like, uh, did you just develop it or did yeah. you get help? Or I think it's just years of uh, being with kids and teaching kids and, you know, um, being thrown into different scenarios with different personalities all the time. Uh, I think I myself am still just a big kid in an adult body, really. We all are. <laughs> so I think it's it's much easier for me to deal with the kids than it is with the mums or the dads. But, um, yeah, I think it was just it's just years of being involved in the classroom and learning to deal with different child personalities and knowing the kids that you can push and knowing the kids you need to pull back from and just developing it. Yeah, and, but is it is important for... I think would be important is for some of your students to do well in these competitions because it's actually oh, good marketing for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so my number one <clears throat> drive is to get that blue ribbon. That right. is that is the drive. So do you do you run it? I mean, I think people would be interested to know this. Do you run it to make sure your business is best represented, or do you run it to best represent what the child wants or the mother wants? Uh, don't say all the above. Um, please. No, I won't. Uh, um, and sometimes do you feel conflicted? Yes, I feel very conflicted all the time. Um, some of my parents would say that I'm too nice to a fault, that I try and include everyone and make everyone happy. We do for competition teams have auditions at the beginning of the year. So we have a certain standard that represents me on the stage. However, I do like to encourage kids and nurture them up into that competition level. So if there is a child that maybe is not at the right level, I still encourage them to participate because they're not going to show any growth or development by staying in a recreational class their entire life. So I know you said not to say both, but it is really a bit of both. It's learning, you know, how you can incorporate some of the less experienced dancers to learn from those more experienced dancers. And then hopefully 
everyone comes up to that same level and then represents well on the stage. But do you get kids who like you think this is a waste of time? She's never going to get there. Yes. Oh <laughs> no, I, that sounds horrible. But that's not a kid that I would pop into troop. No. But what no. happens if she says I really want to be in it? Uh. Well. She's got to get through the audition. She's got a. She's got to obviously. <clears> there's <throat> a repertoire of skills that she would have okay, to. Okay. But if you're a softy, what happens <laughs> if she's like mortified when she doesn't reach there? Do you ever think yourself? I mean, like, like I can see it sort of like I'm sure I've seen it in some sort of movie somewhere where the kid hasn't got the skills, but maybe if she worked really hard, she could get the skills, you know, that sort of uh, yeah. overcoming adversity type thing. Totally. Do you ever get sort of caught up in that type of thing? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to give this kid a chance because she really wants to do it, but she's never going to – I don't think she's got the talent, but she really wants to do it and she's going to try. Do yeah. You, so do you end up wasting your time on those people? Um, I feel like it's not a time waste per se. I feel like for those kind of kids that are struggling a bit, my avenue would be if you want to do a performance and you want to have performance time, I'd go and give them a private lesson to do a solo. So let's say that kid is somebody who's really wants to do it, doesn't have the talent in your initial opinion, really wants to do it though, desperate to do it. Mm-hmm. Um Signs up for the five lessons. Will mm-hmm. you give that kid free lessons after the fifth lesson? Yes. I know you're looking at me badly, but I can't have one rule for one and another rule for another. It has to be. You're running a business, though. I know, but that's the thing. That's where it's hard because my relationships with these kids is like, you know, some of them I've taught for nearly 12 years now. It's like raising these little kids that used to be 10 that are now 18, 20. So my emotional investment in it is is like to the sky. So when you ask questions like that, I know it's not a smart business decision, but I feel like my clientele stay with me because I look after them. In what sense? In the sense of that I wouldn't turn away a child from reaching a cap and participating in as many classes as they can for their training just for the benefit of extra money. Okay, so what business do you win? I mean, uh, the service of dance lessons. You sure? Yes, definitely. You sure? Yeah. Or you're in the business of nurturing people and making them feel good. Um, well, Express through dance. <laughs> that is part of it too, though. It is. Dance is a, like a... I want you to really think about this. Okay, I want you to think about it. So, I sell you a cup of coffee because I'm a coffee shop owner. I'm not in the business of selling coffee. I'm in the business of satisfying the emotion you want after you drink your coffee. Okay. First thing in the morning. Your business is called Performing Arts School. Stratosphere Performing Arts School. I don't want you to tell me you're in the business of performing arts. Right. What are they, what's the thing that they're trying to satisfy or the things they may be trying to satisfy by being there in the first place and, and continue on there? Yeah, what right. is it? So I'm nurturing friendships and fitness and fun in the classroom. It gives the kids an outlet after school. Um, I'm nurturing self-development and self-confidence. I'm nurturing a personal drive and goal setting and helping kids develop from a young age to an old age with a little bit of, I don't know, sass and repertoire, I guess, to go out into the real world later on. So you're sort of building life skills. Definitely. So why don't you charge for them? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's go to the break and we'll come back. Welcome back to The Mentor. I'm here with Kate Gibbs, the owner of Stratosphere Performing Arts School. That's its name. We're trying to determine what 
the business really is. <laughs> and all of this, of course, comes down to time management because all Kate can do in terms of measuring how much she can charge for is based on the amount of time she spends because time's a precious commodity. Um, we don't have that much of it. And then there's always this... Uh, uh, dichotomy between should I charge, should I not charge? Um, is this something that is a nice thing to do because I like the person, I like the parent, I like the kid, or it's good for my brand or whatever? My view on these things is if you're not going to charge and you, you're going to invest, sorry, you're going to not going to charge any, but you're going to invest your time, then you, you could you can do that if that's an investment in your brand, which hopefully will yield something in the future. Otherwise, it's a compromise investment. Or if that's not the case, because your brand's already good enough and you're sort of at capacity, then you should charge for it, which is why it's important to understand what business you're in mm. so that you can charge for the thing that you are in the business of. So every minute of your time looks like to me, well, no. I ask you to tell me if I'm right or not. Every minute of your time you're spending, you are building life skills for these kids for the future, no matter what they do. They could end up becoming a dancer. Probably 1% end up becoming a dancer. That's great. So really the life skills you're building are for other things in their life. It could be building confidence, could be giving them exposure to competition, teaching them how to reach goals, all these things are life skills, mm -hmm. which is, by the way, why the parents send them in the first place. Parents aren't stupid. Some parents might think their daughter or son is going to be in the Royal Ballet or, you know, on the stage doing chorus line or something. Um, but the bulk of them are there because they want someone like you to do what they either don't have the skill or time or can't be bothered doing, mm -hmm. but they know it's important. Yes. Build life skills. Okay. The reason people come to you is because you have all these things like goal setting, blah, blah, blah. They, they think – they're not sitting there thinking, well, that's really great because – um, Susie might become you know, a world-famous dancer. Some might, but not many. Some would be thinking to themselves, oh, I want Susie to become a lawyer, I want to become a doctor, I want to become a whatever, something else. But they do recognise that this is important for Susie as she's growing up mm -hmm. to get it wired into her neurological system. So that's what your, that's your service. Yeah. Okay. So in my opinion, I think you should charge for that because people value it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Now, the only time it becomes an issue is if someone else is offering it, offering exactly the same service within reasonable radius of your location, within reasonable uh, constraints of the same time periods you do. And all the same stuff's got to be the same, mm -hmm. but they're either selling it cheaper or they're not charging for something. If that's not the case, if you're the only one then you're, you're confident. If you're confident of that, then you should be charging accordingly. Yeah. Tell me, is there someone who you're worried about who might knock off your clients and your students if you start charging? Yeah. So in our area, there is a dance school on every corner. We're probably the most densulated, uh, densely populated dance school area in the whole of Sydney. Right. So literally from me, there's another studio 100 metres down the road, then another 200, and then another 500. Um, Are they as good as yours? Well, you'd like to think not. But I, I would mean, like to think but not. No, be realistic. Uh, there are some that are competitive with us. There are some that are better than us. There are some that are slightly, I don't want to say worse, but as not as competitive as we are. Um, I feel like it, we also cater differently 
for at our studio than some of our neighbouring studios do. So obviously our competitive edge is that we do do competitions, that we do do well at competitions. Uh, not all dancers and dance parents want their kids to participate in that kind of environment. So for me, that's how that's our competitive difference to compared to the other two schools either side of me. Right. So if you put your prices up or charged for that extra lesson after five lessons have been charged after the cap Mm -hmm. or your cap pricing or cap charge cap your charges per week Mm -hmm. would you run the do you think there's a real risk of losing somebody have you actually analyzed the risk well i haven't analyzed it officially but my assumption would be if i didn't offer that cap the kids would not do the extra classes Right, so you, so what you're telling me then is the cap is used to get people to do five classes instead of if you didn't do the cap, they'd only do three. Correct. So you are actually charging, aren't you? Well, yes. The incentive is obviously to get them to take their full class load, jazz, tap, ballet, contemporary, hip-hop, and then everything after that, all the supplementary training like acrobatics, cheerleading, tech and flex, musical theatre, all those extra classes are just a bump on. Um, so in my brain, if I can get everyone onto that cap, that's generating me, you know, say for instance, $500 a term for one child. So if I have, you know, a hundred kids that on that full cap, that's more financially better for me if everyone was just doing three classes. Okay. But also if let's say it's $500 per term per kid and let's say 10 kids do it, <clears throat> I don't know the numbers, it doesn't matter. And that's 5,000. Are you spending $5,000 in your, your time? doing the extra lessons after the cap. Yeah, that's something I would have to quantify. That's what you need to quantify. Yeah, definitely. Don't say in my brain, if you want to, I can't answer your question, but that's how I would answer the question. You need to sit down and say, how many kids uh, have I bumped up to the five lessons per week um, and how much more money am I making out of them? And is the only device of getting them up to the five lessons by offering the cap is there some other device that doesn't have to be a cap? Right. Is there some other qualitative thing, not a quantitative thing, a qualitative thing that I, I could get them up to the to the five lessons and drop the cap? Yeah. And then have options to take a sixth and a seventh and an eighth lesson. Um, because it might, the qualitative thing might be if you talk to each parent, say, look, I think Susie here, if she does her five lessons a week with Susie in the room, I know that she can do really well in a competition. And you do that with every Susie's parent, every one of them. Um, that, that's a qualitative thing. Mm. Um, what you've gone and done is you've just done a nice across-the-board sweep. And you've said, guess what? Everybody, email everybody. If you do five lessons a week, there's a cap. Yeah. Is that what you did? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. <laughs> so what you did is you relied on this as a uh, quantitative device to get people to take five lessons or to, to build certainty around kids taking five lessons mm-hmm. as opposed to you having the uncertainty whether they're going to take two or three, yes. which means you don't have to, you know that when they, when you have a class and you're paying a girl or a guy to take the class and let's say they're 50 bucks per class, um, that everyone's going to turn up and you're not wasting your money. Correct. Yeah, I got it. So I'm just wondering whether or not <clears throat> I would do the exercise, whether or not the extra money you're making is worth the extra time That's a, that you have to spend after the cap. Yep. But I'd also... But I w- what I would also do is look at is, is there some other device a bit more sophisticated than what you're currently doing that's just not a, you know, a, a blowout email mm. that allows you to achieve the same result but at the same time de-risk your position where you have to – someone has to spend time on giving these extra lessons. Yeah. 
or is it worth it? It might not even be worth it. It might. Not. How many kids do the extra lessons out of? How many students you got? Two hundred and twenty-five. How many kids out of two hundred twenty-five would do the extra lessons? I'd say I have at least one hundred and twenty on. That sounds like it's worth doing the exercise. Okay. <laughs> if you like, send me ten. I don't know, but like one hundred twenty—that's half. Yes, half the kids. Because you know, now what you've done is you put the parents in a position to sort of say, "Okay, well, she's got me for five. I'm going to get her for five. Yeah, parents aren't stupid. No, <laughs> you know, like they—they—that's what—that's what's going through their head. God, like I need to get the five. Susie likes the five. Um, she enjoys going there. Plus, I'm getting my kid minded. Mm-hmm. Um. I'll put it in for another five and I don't have to pay for them. Free. People don't actually respect free, you know that, don't you? No, I know. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they only respect what they pay for. Right. You know, consumers generally. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't like free steak knives and they don't like, uh, and they don't respect discounts either. Mm. They, people want to know what's value and I'll pay for value. Yeah. So if they are, Getting value, if there is value in sending them to the extra couple of lessons, I'm telling you that they'll pay for it. If there's no value, there's no point you doing it. Yeah. At all. No value to them, no value to you. You're not getting paid for it. No. The kids, the parents don't think there's no value, so they're not going to pay you, so why bother? But if the, if, if the, if the parents think, oh, it's just something to get my kids minded and keep Susie occupied, of course I'll send them. Yeah. So who's rorting who? I mean, who's getting the better of who here? Like, I mean, that's what you want to think about. Definitely. Yours is cle- your your device is clever, <clears throat> and and obviously good value to everybody. But you need to do an analysis. Is this a smart way of running your business? Um, and what do people really respect? Yeah. And maybe just do it a little. Just one of your studios. I mean, do they all go to different the same? Can you go to any studio, or do they just go? Well, to so one? what ends up happening is the kids that are on the cap say if they're enrolled at Dural and they take jazz, tap, ballet, contemporary, hip-hop at Dural on a Monday, then they'll go to Glen Haven on a Wednesday and take those five classes. And then they'll go to um, Beaumont Hills on a Thursday and take those five classes again. Oh, my God. It sounds like uh, they've all worked it out. Yeah. Just, okay. <laughs> well, you need to change that. I, and, 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 look, you know, you, you know, you might get a bit of fallout too, you know, because, you know, parents can be uh, a little fickle in that regard. Mm. Um, and they might shop you. They might hunt. For, to take the kids somewhere else, yeah. but sometimes it's a false economy for you too to have them all stay. It might you might make have a better business and maybe even a bit more spare time to yourself, perhaps, um, or maybe have a less complicated business if you had less students. Mm. Because you're, what you're trying to do is keep every two hundred and twenty five students. Um, you might make might have a better business if you only got one hundred and eighty students. Yeah, right. But that 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 so it's a mathematical analysis. It's and I don't, you know, and but I hate you. Don't tell me you're no good at maths because I, I'm a dancer. I can only count to eight. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I don't. But I don't accept you're no good at maths. What I mean, and I don't mean you have to be a mathematician, but you can work it out. Definitely, can, I can. That's something that I'm going to go home and do. You need to sit down, down all the extra you need hours. To, correct. You need to cost it out, and then you, do, you need to say, okay, what happens if I lose ten students? What if I put the price up or charge the extra hours? And of the 125, 120 students go to the extra hours. What happens if I lose 20 students? What happens if I lose 30 students? What are my cost savings? Because I don't have to put on classes. Mm-hmm. Where's it all land? Yeah. Because there's no point having a false economy in a business. No. There's no point saying I've oh, got 225 students when 50 of them are only there because they can shop you to the different studios that you have. Yeah. Because, you know, because you said right at the very beginning, you know, I'm too nice. I am. <laughs> And but but just remember one thing, 
you got to remember this, Kate, it's important. You are in the business of building life skills for someone else's child. Mm-hmm. And they have and not only that, you are occupying their children away from iPads, Netflix, and everything else that goes on the house, and you are giving the parents a break. Yeah. That is valuable. The people in wealthy areas where you are mm. will pay for it, which is the reason why there's so many dance studios. There's a dance studio, as you said, on every corner. Yeah. It's the most densely dance studioed place in Sydney. Yeah. It's not because it's not that's not a coincidence. That's because people in that area, that broad area, will pay for these things. So my gut feeling is if you can express to them the value that their children get and they get from you and everything in your marketing should be not around so much the dancing piece, do that, but and the results and the competitive, but all your language, etc., you should be conveying to the people who read your material, which is your parents, um, and every expression you make to the children should be about nurturing life skills. Yeah. As well as dancing, but it yeah. should be about life skills. And you should be making a big deal of goals and to the parents and saying, and you know, sending a email, look at Susie just achieved these goals. It's fantastic. I now think she can go to the next level. It's blah, blah. Yeah. Keep reinforcing all those through your language and through the repetitive nature of it and through your – um, as you, as you, ex- everything you express, you personally, everything you put through your system, keep that language and that tone and that, um, those outcomes, because that's what you do. Yeah. Okay. Some very famous ones asked me the question when I was in the wizard business, what business do you win? And I thought I was in the home loan business and he actually quickly corrected me. He said, no, you're in the uh, business of people's hopes and dreams, owning a house. Yeah. He said, never forget it. That's, that's your business. People don't care about borrowing money from you for 30 years and have to pay you back every month. Um, you know, like you're not in the business of dance competition. You're not in the business of – you are in the business of dance skills, skill, just physical skills, but you're in something much bigger, much more important, much more vital. And as you say, you, you could take these kids. That's why you feel like they're your family because you're like they're being their mother. That's it. From five to 18. Mm-hmm. You've seen these kids all grow up and they're all good kids. Yep, all of them. Yeah, that, that's, well, look at your output. Yeah. That's worth charging for. And your best um, ambassadors are those kids who are now, who have gone through all the stages. Yeah. They're your best ambassadors. Absolutely. And you've got to somehow bring them into the system. You probably do that now, but I mean, you know, photographs, like, you know, if I had been um, lucky enough to have a daughter, which I didn't, but if I had been, um, and I was looking to put my daughter in dance in dance school, um, and if I saw girls that had been there for 10, 11 years and they were now mature girls and grown up, et cetera, and... And somehow they endorsed or they said something about what you do through yeah. Facebook or whatever. Um, that would be a big deal to me. I've been here with Kate for the last 12 years and she's been like a mum to me and, you know, I've learned a lot about myself and whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's huge. Mm. That For me, someone like me, I'd say, right, that's the joint. 
I wouldn't even look at your else. Yeah. If you put your price up by five bucks or less or whatever it is, it wouldn't make any difference. Like, what value is a kid to a parent? It's the, That's right. You'll spend anything on your child. When, I, when one of my boys, I didn't know it with the other three boys, but when I didn't realize that kids got tutored during the HSC. And um, <clears throat> one of my sons told me about it, my last son, my, my last son, my younger son. And, uh, and I, I thought, shit, I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. And uh, I merely started trying to find a tutor for him, and I, I, tr- I couldn't find a tutor. They're all, they're all busy, mm. booked, all booked, totally booked for the HSC. Anyway, I knew somebody who, um, whose kid was at this one particular tutor in, around where I lived, and um, I was so desperate to get my son in there, I would have paid her anything. She was charging 100 bucks an hour. Mm. There was like 10 kids per class. <laughs> It didn't matter to me, but I just thought, because I'm not doing it for my son. I, for a start, I thought I should have, I should have done it for the other three sons. I didn't even know about it. <laughs> I didn't even know everyone was doing this sort of stuff. And uh, I, I thought I'd better catch up, you know. Mm. And, uh, and and I'm just an, an example of one, but I'm, I'm sure, and you know, I come from an area with his money, similar to where you're talking about. So I, I think people aren't that sensitive to the amount of money. I think they're more sensitive to the, the outcome. Yeah. Like missing out. Definitely. Yeah. And and if and you got to build that around who you are. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. What one question have you got to ask me, or already asked me? Uh well, I, I think the only other thing I just wanted to touch on, which obviously just develops on the fact that I'm <clears throat> a little too nice, is how do you establish, particularly in a business like mine that is so interpersonal, a boundary between being a teacher and a friend for the student and vice versa, a business owner and a friend for the parents. Because I find that my biggest struggle as a business owner is chasing invoices, which I'm sure is everyone's problems, um, and crossing that line between being, you know, being someone's friend outside of the terms of the business and then having to come down on them to pay money. That's it. Well, why do you invoice? Why don't you just have a system like a credit card, get a square at the back, square device at the back of your mobile phone, and people pay on the first of the month, and you just go and get everyone to pay when they drop the kid off the credit card. Yeah, I could do that. Now that I have a, I actually <coughs> just moved into a, a proper unit building that's converted into a dance school. But previous to that, we operated out of community centres. So for me to do something like that, I would have to be in all three venues at the one time with it. But can't the ladies who work for you do it, or the guys who work for you do it? Yeah, they could. It's just obviously handing over that responsibility to other people to have to deal with. You got to, but for me, there's no point working in business unless you collect the money. Yes, no. And, you should, and f- f- like you are not the government or BHP sending out invoices. Yeah. You're Kate running a small business. You should get paid straight away because your wages get paid straight away. Correct. Your rent gets paid straight away. Correct. Electricity gets everything gets paid straight away. When you, you don't get terms, do you? No. No. So why should you be giving people terms? No, that's true. And people, like if you lose some, you lose them. They're the ones you probably don't get pay you anyway. So mm. you add up all the time you spend ringing people up and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You, you, need to get, you need to get electronic systems that do it and you just blame the electronic system. You just sort of say, well, you know, I like to, I've got to do everything by credit card now. My yeah. bank manager told me to or my accountant told me to. Blame someone else. My accountant told me to. <laughs> or go and get a QuickBooks system, you know, and uh, – you know, like that automatically invoices automatically sends out emails when they haven't been paid. Yeah, so that's what I have. I have zero at the moment. Okay, so you need something like that. But blame the system. But for me, I would be getting people to pay 
on the credit card. Everyone's got a credit card. Yeah. All the dance mums have got credit cards. <laughs> yes. I, I can tell you that now for sure. Now, it might be easier, instead of doing one lump payment per term or something, it might be easier to break it up into three three payments. Yeah. Just say, look, from now on, I, instead of me sending you an invoice, I'm going to, um, when you drop your child to the dance studio, studio during term, you know, there's every there's going to be three occasions when I'm going to be at all the different studios, and I'm going to I'm going to break it down to three payments. Yeah, and I, I just need to take my credit card because otherwise, again, they're taking taking the piss. You know, they're, absolutely. And and therefore, it's you in order to put this barrier between or build this barrier of with a bridge over the top of where you can sort of be one time <laughs> friend, one time business owner is the best way to do is just use other people to be the problem. Yeah. Blame someone else. <laughs> okay. You know, say, oh, my accountant said, oh, my God, I have to do this. <laughs> or my bank manager said I have to do this. Or, you know, my advisors put me onto this uh, billing system that ha- has to be abided by or I have to use credit cards from now on. Yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. Or you can say, some people aren't paying me. Now, nobody wants to be the person who says no to the credit card because they, they might be identifying themselves to someone else as the person doesn't pay. Yeah. You have to think this through, sort of embarrass them into it or <laughs> – no, but you need to. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're, – you're, you're, you're not, you're not, a, you're not a, 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 a pay, pay master or a pay mistress or a, or a um, bookkeeper or something. No. You can't be wasting time on that sort of stuff. And that's where I find like a lot of my time and energy goes into chasing people that haven't paid. Well, if you had a, a, a – there's lots of devices around that go at the back of the phones, right? Yeah. ANZ's got one. They're, they're all got them, you know. Mm. So if you – Walk up to the – just sit there and, you you know, you, you've got – you give him a receipt. He says, hey, give me your credit card. You swipe it. It's yeah. done. Yeah. Money's in your account the next day. Mm-hmm. They get they get on the credit card, mm-hmm. a, a receipt. They're not going to – like even if you send them an invoice, how do they pay it anyway? So at, presently we're accepting like EFT cash check. Oh. <laughs> nah, come on. That's like dinosaur stuff. I know. Checks, you got to bank them and there's a hassle. I know. You got to keep books. I know. No, you got to. No, 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 no. I mean, it, I know you say you got a zero system, but do you know how to use it? Uh, I can use it to invoice and mm. I can read my own Basically, reports. Basically, I mean, you can't use it. So, <laughs> so, so you, you, have you got an accountant? Yes. Yeah. You need to sort of get somebody, either they do it or you do it, but someone's got to get on top of this thing. For you, yeah. Either doing it for you, you may need to get yourself a part-time uh, bookkeeper or something like that. Yeah, bookkeepers know all these systems, know how to use them really well. Yeah, it might only be a couple couple of days a week <clears throat> that you can s- stop thinking about it. I mean, but the other thing too is, by the way, if the bookkeeper, someone else is ringing up about an amount that's outstanding, you know, you would, you alienate yourself from that. That's perfect. Yeah, it's nearly debt collection. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you you know, it's probably only. I can't imagine you only got a couple of students, but I, I, it wouldn't be more than three hours a week bookkeeping with okay. an electronic system. Um, and there'd be lots of re- there's lots of part time bookkeepers, mums, retired people, etc., who love doing this stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just do it, and they'll and, and they'll spend an hour ringing everybody, yeah. <clears throat> and and people hate that, <laughs> you know, you know, they just hate it, yeah. And a lot of people don't not pay. A lot of people don't forget to pay, or they're not trying to be hor- horrible. They're just just want to avoid it. They just don't want to think about it, you know, can't mm-hmm. be bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if it comes out there electronically, they don't even see it. Yeah, definitely. They just, 
you know, you know, you might want to do what gyms do. I mean, gyms is the best model. I mean, you're a, a dancing version of a gym. Mm-hmm. You know, F45, you're a dancing version of F45. So, you know, why wouldn't you just say, listen, beginning of the month, um, we'll take out every month at your credit card. Yeah. Makes sense. Are you in a gym? No. Oh, you probably don't need to be a dancer. <laughs> Not but enough like, time. <laughs> but, but, but most people go to gym, that's <clears throat> X amount per week comes out of their account. Mm-hmm. They don't even see it. Makes sense. That's that's a good model. That works. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the smaller the chunks, the less pain. Yeah. For your customers. Happy? Absolutely. Great. Really nice to meet you, Kate. You too. Thank you, Mark. All this. Stuff. <laughs>